Hebrews 12.1 says we are surrounded by witnesses and that we should cast off sin and obstacles that keep us from God. We are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is Cross Training. Building your faith to not only carry the cross of Christ, but to get up when you fall and run toward the finish line. Faith-filled business leaders and individuals share their testimony to inspire your journey. Now here's your host for Cross Training, David Anderson. Thank you for joining us on another day of Cross Training. Glad you were able to listen in. I'm David Anderson. Uh, brought to you from Loyola University Recording Studios uh, on the fabulous Catholic Community Media. We have Albert DuPont Jr. at the switches here at Loyola making it possible, and uh, Mr. Jeff Blackwell making this all sound good, producing this wonderful show, Cross Training. And we want to thank all of our staff over at uh, Catholic Community Media for allowing us to broadcast and produce this show. They do an amazing job of spreading the good word of our Catholic faith uh, on Catholic community media. If you ever have the inclination to go listen, go join in, contribute, support that radio station, it, it is certainly worthwhile. Today we have Dan Jens, who is joining us. Dan is a medical doctor and a very devout Catholic. Uh, He leads a group that I'm part of, Journey, that every Friday morning, I get there about 545, go into adoration, and Dan's either making the coffee, setting up the papers, or in adoration himself. And uh, it is one of the most beautiful things of my whole week. And on the first Friday of the month, we also get breakfast right after uh, from the Holy Name community who produces breakfast on the first Fridays. And welcome anybody to come join that listens. Um, I guess that would be this Friday. This coming Friday, uh, February the 2nd, is the the first Friday. And they cook up. Uh, eggs and pancakes and waffles and bacon and the aromas are just the best part of it I think. (laughs) It really is. It really is. So Dan, you grew up in Illinois? Well, I was born in Illinois. Um, My dad was in the Air Force and he was stationed up there and so I barely remember it. Um, Spent three years and then we moved, and we kept moving, and lived quite a number of places uh, during his Air Force career. And then I had an Air Force career and moved around to a number of places as well. Where were so, some of the interesting places you guys lived around the world? Um, the only overseas base that my dad was stationed that we were allowed to come was in the Azores, which is out a Portuguese group of islands a thousand miles uh, west of Portugal in the North Atlantic. And it was an important air refueling station uh, for a number of years when airplanes could— How old were you there? Eleven. Nice place to be, I would imagine. It was great. It was an ideal place to live, and uh, you could walk everywhere you needed to go. We walked to school. We walked to the movie. We walked to the snack bar. We walked to our little league um, field. So it was a very safe place for a young preteen to be. And beautiful, the beaches. Well, it was kind of neat. Not a gorgeous beach, but, you know, there were outdoor activities. Uh, I became a Boy Scout there, and we did some uh, interesting camping, and um, it was – I have good memories of the Azores. I've only seen pictures, and it looked amazing. Uh, Beautiful water. Well, right. This was one of the poorer islands, and I think that was a a good lesson for me to see how the 
local Portuguese who didn't have anything. You know, they often didn't have shoes. They lived in houses that were very small. Some of them built with stones piled on top of each other. Um, it was a very poor economy, but it was good for us to see that and to be involved with them. Uh, there was a Portuguese little league team that we played against, and so that was good for. You know, it was it was a, a broadening experience for my brother and I. And were you Catholic during that period? No, uh, uh, no, uh, and I. I don't think I went to church. Well, wait, uh, we went to Sunday school. Um, my brother and I went to Sunday school on base. We could we could walk to that. So we went, you know, several times. Probably not every week. Uh, my mom had started us in Sunday school, uh, maybe when we were eight and nine in Orlando, and um, she just felt that it was her her duty her mission to get us at least some exposure to sure. to Jesus and so I, Wonderful. I'm very thankful for that yeah I bet when did you decide you want to be a doctor you know that's <laughs> uh, I I thought that in high school okay I, I like science and um, I had had experiences in the Boy Scouts of helping people, and I thought medicine would be a choice, but I also liked airplanes, and I was pretty good in uh, math and physics, and so I thought engineering would be good. And my dad said, you know, medical school would be a long, expensive road, and I think you should choose engineering. (laughs) And uh, so that's the way I went. And then later on, uh, when I was a senior in college, I started rethinking that decision. There was a lot of reasons for that, but um, I chose medicine, and it wasn't an easy choice because then I had to get further education and go through applications and some of those applications uh, were failures um, and but finally I got accepted to Tulane and uh, came here and that was a change in my life because a new career which I think I have to say that was that was really my calling and then uh, while here I met the woman who became my wife so that was was she from new orleans um from homa close uh, enough but yeah she was uh, she was she was moving to to new orleans uh to teach so yeah it was was great wow yeah. that's fantastic so you you my niece just uh finished her first year first semester of tulane law and she's from out of town she's from virginia but the family's all from new orleans and it's her first time living here. Uh-huh. And she said, man, I'm really going to, after going to a couple of the parades, said, I'm going to have a really hard time living back up on the East Coast. It's so nice. Uh, you, something you can't really experience until you live here. Right. Yeah, I agree. No, I mean, uh, certainly I'd been to New Orleans once or twice just for Mardi Gras and when I thought, okay, I could go to medical school where they have Mardi Gras, I said, that's really cool. But yeah. truly, Tulane was a good fit for me because they were open to people from different parts of the country and open to people with non-pre-medical backgrounds, which was me. You know, I was an aerospace engineer, and um, the uh, the most medical schools I applied to didn't really think that that was an advantage. So, but Tulane was very open-minded about it, it and uh, and the admissions coordinator at uh, missions dean at Tulane was very open-minded about that. So it, it turned out well for me. And for the listeners, uh, let me describe Dan. Dan is uh, about six 
two, six, three? Uh, no, six feet. Really? Six feet and bald. <laughs> <laughs> he He's above six feet tall and a very lean man, very Scandinavian looking. And uh, one of the more gentle, firm men I have met in a long, long time. Uh, I wouldn't say a uh, a gentle giant because he's much leaner than that but uh, a real presence and I can imagine you coming up to someone uh, that was ill and you were treating they had to feel very very comfortable that whatever this man was going to tell them was uh, was going to be quite accurate and and delivered in a very sensitive kind way I'm sure your bedside manner had to be really, really comforting to the people you treated, your patients. Mm-hmm. Had to be. Well, thank you for saying that, David. Um, that's something I've worked on. I think that's something that has grown with me through the years. And and I have to say that that's through the grace of God. That Clearly, I felt the Spirit active with, you know, trying to develop a f- further connection with patients at times. And... I think as my career went on, that grew even more, especially uh, later in my career. I thought I thought I was I, I realized I was being a little bit successful in that realm in terms of making those connections uh, both emotionally and spiritually. Um, that was something that didn't happen early in my career, but spiritual connections with patients happened. A bit later, not always from my instigating. Sometimes it was my patients who were instigating that. I'm sure, which was uh, a gift. For, uh, I felt. Well, this is David Anderson. You're listening to Cross Training on Catholic Community Media, and we have uh, in the studio at the beautiful Uptown Studios of Loyola, uh, Dr. Dan Jens, who leads a men's group that I'm a part of. So when you talked about the spirituality side of it, when did your Catholic faith develop? How did you uh, – didn't come from the Sunday school in the Azores. Uh, where did you step into the Catholic faith? You know, I had some uh, not really Catholic faith but Christian faith in college. We had a little group met in our fraternity. Uh, it was nicknamed the God Squad, um, somewhat derisively by some of our fraternity brothers, I think. Yes, but, I'm uh, sure. And, and one of my good friends, and he became my roommate, he was Catholic. And uh, so I, I kind of saw what he was doing, but that didn't really inspire me to become Catholic. I, I'm, I think my faith has been led by people I've been exposed to and been with. And my path toward uh, being a Catholic was truly from my wife. Uh, my wife was raised as a Catholic, and um, we got married in a Catholic church in Homa, and I experienced uh, that parish, uh, especially in the early years of our marriage, and um, saw the community that they had. And back then, they had a parish fair every year, and that was an all-hands-on-deck kind of participation. Everybody had a a volunteer job that they did. My father-in-law was the electrician who who put the lighting together That's for all the That's a big job different... at a parish fair. Oh, my goodness sakes. Yeah, I went out and helped a little bit, but I didn't do much. But he and this other man really worked night and day to set all that up, and it was very successful. It was a very community bringing together people, a lot of enjoyment. Um, that was a special thing. So that impressed me. Um, and then my wife, shortly after we got married, said, well, you know, is it okay if we go to church? And so we walked down to, uh, I think it was Mater Della Rosa 
Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful church. Yeah, and we would go to church there, maybe not every Sunday, but we would go a lot. And then as time went on, I started going to church with her on a more regular basis. And finally, uh, we were in Somerville, South Carolina, and they had an announcement one Sunday about anybody who's interested in learning more about the Catholic faith you know, show up on Sunday evening, and we'll have a little conversation and so forth. So I showed up. The priest was a fairly new priest. He was a retired, um, I think, Marine Corps colonel who then went into the priesthood. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, and so he was kind of our leader and talked to us about the Catholic faith, and at one point he said, well, anybody anybody here interested in becoming Catholic? And I raised my hand, and my wife looked at me and said, really? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. And so that was, yeah, that was in the early days of, of um, the Christian, of the Catholic education, you know, people that were not Catholic bringing them in, and it wasn't a real well-established program, but it was that's how I became a Catholic. But so you were uh, a resident, or you were practicing at it, that point? Yeah, I was in practice uh, at Charleston Air Force Base. I was a family physician at Charleston, and um, anyway, we st- started with that. Uh, I found myself a sponsor, and the sponsor was one of the family practice residents at the Navy residency program. And so he and his family um, came for my uh, my baptism. I had not been baptized, and also for uh, my confirmation uh, into the church. So that was, that was a big event, but I won't say I felt um, – a dramatic eureka i'm a catholic here i am i'm full of the holy spirit that's been more of a gradual path i think that's for me. more in the pentecostal state maybe so yeah yes. yeah this has been a gradual growth and that has continued i would say really continued much more strongly over the past 15 years in my life how <clears throat> the last 15 years have been my big movement as well i see um same thing what changed with you in the past 15 years well i i hate to say it uh i was pursuing the bank account uh, i had started a bank and uh, we had grown and there was a catholic church next to us uh, immaculate conception uh downtown and uh I just thought one day, well, I need to go get that account. I was you know, voracious in going to bring in uh, entities and um, went over uh, to a noon mass, heard this priest uh, deliver the homily, and I say heard for the very first time I had been in a mass that I actually – it resonated. What he had to say resonated. And I went back the next day for noon and the next day, and uh, he really uh, brought me in. He had educational programs, and uh, I, it's when I really started to develop a desire to learn more and to be more active. I I'd heard him the first time, and I said, what am I doing? Uh, and from that point forward, I my faith has grown and my devotion has grown and uh, what I've done with the church has grown. And I did get the account, uh, and I ended up with the whole province, the Jesuit province, uh, banking with us. And then when they consolidated the province to St. Louis, uh, I held on to a pretty big piece of the account and became friends with Father Mark Lewis, who's now the pont, uh, 
president of the Pontifical University of Rome, where several popes have gone through, 33 saints have gone through, and I got to interview him uh, last summer, and uh, soon enough he'll be on, on Catholic Community Media on the cross-training, and it was wow. a great experience. Yeah, so he's on up there in the hierarchy of the church. Way up there. Way up there, and it was, uh, yeah, he doesn't see himself that way. Okay. He just sees you know, himself a regular guy from down here. Yeah, but he is. He's way up there and uh, gave us a tour. You're in a pontifical university. It's 900 years old, and uh, 33 saints have come out of here and, like, 11 popes. Uh, not many times we it's we quite enter. quite a legacy. Yeah, it really is. It really is. But so so there you are, young doctor, and you're in the Air Force. Yes, mm-hmm. I had some of the best medical treatment and dental treatment ever when I was in the Army. Uh, great, great uh, folks. I'm actually thinking about going over to VA and saying it. I can get my uh, doctor that I go see regularly, uh, somebody from the VA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think facility. that's that's worthy. Yeah, I thought that the medical care I was exposed to in the Air Force was was very good, and it was for me, for a family physician, it was a good uh, environment to practice in because we we had a lot of responsibility, um, got to use a full range of our of our training and uh, so that was it was good so there you are in south carolina you go through rcia uh, we call it something different now uh, young physician uh, and you're going to church regularly your wife's pretty excited uh, that electrician down at home i had to be pretty excited right right no, it's it was it was good, and the um, I really did feel more involved going to church, um, and you know, part of the part of the club, if you will, felt a little bit more comfortable around her relatives and so forth when we would go to church together. And that, that's a good point. I urge people listening. If you have grown up Catholic, didn't get all the sacraments, and I hadn't either, uh, I went back and got my actual confirmation as an adult, uh, made my baptism uh, as a child, but made my confirmation as an adult, I urge you to do it. Because even when you go and you haven't taken all the sacraments, you, f- you don't even realize that you don't feel as fully... Uh, literally in communion as when you go make that commitment and it's so interesting to go through RCIA as an adult almost glad it worked out that way because I got to learn more um, as a curious adult sinking intellectual knowledge uh, and it is it's a wonderful experience and I urge particularly my sister, uh, to uh, go sign up for RCIA, and uh, it'll be the best thing you've ever done for yourself. I think that's right. And and then the struggle my wife and I have had, especially with moving a lot, but even now that we've been back in New Orleans for 30-something years, um, it's still been a struggle is to get really involved in the parish and we we both have to certain extents um but then maybe not as much as let's say her parents did in their parish today we have dan jens joining us dan is a medical doctor and a very devout catholic and you're at saint stephen's yeah, um, for the most part. We started going to St. Stephen's probably in the early 90s uh, when the Vincentians uh, had the uh, parish, and uh, we met with uh, uh, the priest and uh, Father James Ward and said, well, you know, what 
we'd like to get more involved. What can we do? And so he had a few ideas. We both became Eucharistic ministers. Uh, I became a lector. Um, and then sometime after that, I think he introduced her to the um, the principal of the school, Sister Juanita Chenevere. Yes. And um, Jean asked, well, is there some things I could help you with? And that ended up being translated into a job. And so she worked for the school for a number of years. And that was uh, a big involvement because the school and the church back then were more closely involved uh, financially and um, and spiritually, I think. Um, there's, the school there's, is uh, – uh, the Monsignor has taken that school. They opened a new school uh, over in the uh, – I think the Florida Desire Projects over there. Um, and by the way, the hot dog and chili that sold yes. at St. Stephen's is, in my opinion, and I speak with authority, the best hot dog and chili on the parade route in Mardi Gras. Right. That's yeah. a that's quite a token to yeah. the best hot dog and chili yeah. Yeah. for Mardi on a parade route. You know, that, that Mardi Gras madness uh, that they have there is really one of the great um, activities that brings people together. And Jean and I were very much involved with that, especially her. But then I would come down and I would take tickets for the bathroom and oh, yeah. you know, clean, great clean the bathroom and, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, so I was the worker bee, and she was one of the organizers uh, during her time in the in the 90s. My father was part of uh, St. Stephen's at that time. I don't know if you remember, Herbie Anderson. Hmm. Uh, he was a lector and uh, – he, he, when he came back into the church, I was his sponsor. Ah, and um, uh, he he was there. He really fell in love with the Catholic Church uh, and St. Stephen's and Father Ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to know him yes. pretty well, mm-hmm. and we were members of St. Stephen's for a long time. And then we then we uh, walked to church at Holy Name. Yes, and uh, it has a. Holy Name has a a vibrant adult community life. Yes, our movie nights and our breakfasts, and we have different lectures that come. We have a big tour going uh, to Montgomery, uh, a one day kind of field trip uh, with lunch at Spring Hill, and ah. uh, it's a um, a vibrant. They have a lot of priests uh-huh. to work and you know with the school they have young people around so they have the energy uh, and the manpower to create a, a real vibrant life and it's led by father uh, Thibodeau yes I mean he, it's important to him uh, no so. I think that the holy name community is very impressive and we I've attended a couple of uh, events with them and uh, I've enjoyed that it's it's been a Good. And it seems like they're having good success with their fundraising and uh, to, to uh, enhance the facility of the school. So that's, that's great. Father Mark and the rest of the crew have done an amazing job. The original uh, goal was $5 million. Prior to that, they had only raised $1.3 million in the whole history of the school. In a wealthy parish, $1.3 and he blew past the five million. Then they set a secondary goal for seven million. With the ultimate goal, they could have everything they wanted: the gym above the school uh, at nine, and they, they they might even get there. Wow, that's impressive. It really is. All it tells us, though, is some of those higher ups uh, over at the Jesuits. Uh, in Rome, might see Father Mark and say, uh, "We got to get him out of there and put him on a bigger platform," uh, which would be awful for us. But I'm sure whoever came next would be uh, just as good. Yes, hopefully. Yeah, I think he's very good. I would like to shout out to Father Mark. He got my wife and I through the early days of COVID with his uh, 
he had this weekly program called Ascending with Ignatius. And weekly, no, it was, it was daily. It was daily for 30 days, I think. It was like a 30-day Ignatian retreat, but 10 minutes at a time each day. And we tuned in for the whole time, and that was delightful. That helped us get through that closed-in time of, of the COVID um, restrictions. It was a crazy time. It was, yeah. Very and, difficult. Uh, it seems like it could be uh, easily, uh, not just COVID, but any other variety of that, could easily come back. And as a doctor, I'm sure you see that. And it just, if COVID was able to spread like that, why couldn't any other variety of that have just as much negative effect? Yeah, let, let's hope that we go another 100 years before we have an, an epidemic like that. As a doctor, seeing an epidemic like that had to be you know, something you, you never wanted to see, but I'm certainly studied uh, previous, you know, the plagues and the different uh, epidemics, but to live through one, wow. Yeah, it was impressive. And then when you go back and that caused me to read about the great influenza of whatever, 1910 or 12, whenever that was, uh, that devastated this country and other countries uh, with millions of deaths. And it was really interesting reading that history um, and trying to compare what they went through with what we were going through. I, I bet there are similarities. Similarities, yes, yeah. How yeah. do you treat? How do you keep it? Right. And you know, be it the mask or whatever it was, uh -huh. you know, people don't know, but you didn't know it didn't work either, right? And you got to err on the side of caution. Exactly, exactly. It's kind of you learn while you go along, and that was happening with the influenza one. That back then they thought it was a bacterial infection, so they were treating it with antibiotics, and uh, and sometimes it would help. But but so they said it must be a bacteria, but it turned out not to be. So that was interesting. I'm sure there's the Fauci of the day uh, back then as well. Uh, right. I don't remember who those leaders were, but it was it was very interesting stories. And uh, I think a local author wrote the book called The Great Influence. I I'm not. Uh, and then the yellow fever, right? Right. That was a major uh, worldwide calamity, wasn't it? We actually have some letters written from a family member who's in New Orleans to the family in Covington, telling them, you know, not to come in uh, to the city. That you know, this yellow fever is everywhere, and. They, I don't think they realized where it was coming from at that time uh, in his letters, but it was really incredible to be reading these letters from then about this epidemic that's going on where we are from family members. Yes. Who thankfully survived. Yes, and I think the North Shore was kind of a place where you escaped from the deadly humors of the yellow fever down here in the swamp. Yeah, if you, I mean, at the end of the day, it was just fewer mosquitoes. Right, right. Uh, so, so you 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 converted, or I won't say converted. You you came into the Catholic Church as a young uh, adult, practicing physician. You immediate and and you guys listening probably can hear that, um, and knowing that Dan is a a doctor. He's an educated man and a and a deep thinker. He's not just going to. Uh, I'm sure you'd never just off the cuff tell someone they had what they had if you didn't recognize it immediately. You would study it and figure it out. And uh, when we go into, we're going to talk about a little food right now. And when we come back, we can talk about how you prepare us for. Uh, our sessions every Friday morning. It really is stimulating. Uh, Dan selects readings for us that are from um, 
great thinkers and people that aren't just Catholic thinkers, aren't just um, looking and interpreting situations uh, as a basic journeyman like myself, although it's called journey, uh, it's different ways of thinking about problems and how they resolved them from uh, people who are very, very intelligent and knew how to express their uh, themselves in writing. So what's your favorite food? You uh, eat very healthy, I'm sure. Looking at you, <laughs> you eat healthy. Uh, what's my favorite food? Um, I would have to say my wife's chicken and in andouille gumbo oh yeah that's uh, a wonderful one now um i'll say this uh, i helped her make a seafood gumbo about three or four weeks ago and she doesn't usually make that but we made it together and my mother-in-law said that's the best she's ever had and my mother-in-law is a wonderful cook so um i i love the seafood gumbo as well but Traditionally, I would say her chicken and andouille gumbo is, is my favorite. I made a gumbo, a turkey gumbo, for the first time ever after Thanksgiving. I had a bunch of family members came over, and we took the carcass of the turkey and made a big pot of gumbo. And um, it was a little easier than I I'd never made it, and I like to cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it came out just delicious mm-hmm. it was delicious the whole pot got eaten again this is david anderson you're listening to catholic community media and we're hosting cross training and today at the beautiful loyola studios we have uh dr diane jens who is one of my spiritual advisors leading our group of men uh, every friday morning so Let's finish on our food for a little bit because I'm getting hungry. Uh, so your wife's from Homa. Yes. So she has to know how to make a good gumbo. Oh, yes, yes. She she was raised around good cooks. Her grandmother and her mother are two of the best cooks around. And, uh, and you know, in in her early life, in our early life, we were not – eating out at restaurants uh we were cooking at home and she was always yeah very good food nothing really exotic at that time but as time went on you know you experiment with different ingredients but uh, i think it gives her a lot of pleasure and uh, we work pretty well together in the kitchen, as long as I say yes, ma'am. And Do you <laughs> cut the onions and oh, garlic? Yeah. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, that's usually my job. Oh, that's uh, excellent to have uh, someone Washing do that. the dishes. Wonderful. Uh, you know, boiling the pasta. You're, you're you know? <laughs> welcome to come over and help me cook. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do most of the cooking at home. I, I peel the shrimp, right? Oh, my. I, <laughs> Pe- I, I, I am peeled. Peel and devein. Yeah. Yes. My wife is very meticulous in that regard. So, um, And by the way, that was the thing that made the seafood gumbo the best is I peeled the shrimp and then boiled them down and made seafood stock. and then From used, the peelings? Yes. Nice. Uh-huh. That, nice. That really that's gave professional the, there, brother. I don't know, but it oh, yeah. it was the depth of flavor. I yes. think that really set it off. Yes, I uh, have found one of the great sponsors of Catholic Community Media is Robert's Food Store. Ah, and uh, Mark Robert is an old friend. I remember when he started his first store over on uh, West Esplanade, but he comes from a long line of of great grocery people all the way to the he traces his lineage to the schwegmans uh so he's been doing it a long time but they may that they now have the price of shrimp is so low right now it's awful for the uh for the shrimpers but um i bought for thanksgiving or christmas these packs of peeled shrimp and i, I just bought one the other day it was Less than $4. Wow. Peeled shrimp. Wow. Nice, what a golf, deal. Yeah. 
good-sized shrimp, enough to feed the family and have leftovers. Mm. Yeah, that is a low low price, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's a shame for the uh, for the fishermen, but uh, it's great for the consumer. And you know, to buy them peeled and deveined. Right, right. That's a lot of work. It is. It is. Yeah. Now you don't have the peelings to make that good stock. Right. but but if you're going to have sautéed shrimp yes, or something like that, it's yeah. easier. Yeah, shrimp and grits. That's fine. I, I I did that dish actually, shrimp and grits. Hey, there you uh, go. I think it was for Thanksgiving, Christmas. I did the shrimp and grits. One of the best dishes you can possibly eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I put a little crab boil in it. That kind of gives that shrimp that boiled flavor, and and I prefer to make it with already boiled shrimp. Okay. Um, I'm getting. I'm now. Yeah, I'm thinking about what I'm gonna be cooking over the rest of the mm-hmm. week. Yeah. I think I'm gonna do a boiled shrimp. Okay. Well, that that gives you the chance to put the seasoning into the shrimp itself before yes. you're gonna mix them in with the the um, with the grits. Well, it sounds like you've learned a little bit uh, at the side of your wife. Uh, oh yeah. How right. to cook? What do you like to cook? Hmm. You know, uh, my job is often at the grill. So, you know, roasting a chicken on on the predecessor to the the green egg. Nice. Uh, and uh, you have a green egg? A predecessor. It, oh. ca- it came from Japan. It was called a Komodo pot. It came from Japan in the same in clay the 60s. technology yeah, type of right. My dad brought back. Two or three of them from Japan when he was uh, uh, on trips there in the Air Force, and uh, and one of them he saved and gave to Gene and I back in probably 1977 or so, shortly after we got married. It had never been used. It had been ten years shipped around in crate. And, oh my God! So he gave it to us. So anyway, so and that, you use it now? I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, sh- it's worse for the weather, but um, it's it still cooks. Coal or gas? Uh, charcoal. Oh, nice. Very yeah, nice. Yeah, charcoal. But anyway, so I do that. I'm going to invite myself to uh, sample its wear. Yeah. And then uh, just this week I cooked a toasted couscous with uh, – Butternut squash and sun-dried tomatoes, and added in some farro. It was a recipe I found on mm. uh, Milk Street. Uh, sorry, probably that's a plug. Oh, anyway, okay. um, so but that turned out very good. So it was yeah. sounds delicious. So I try different things from time to time. My wife would tell me that I don't cook enough, but you know. We we do fine uh, with me helping her cook, so that that works. I actually, uh, when my niece moved in to go to law school at Tulane, she wanted to like cook one night a week. I really said, I'm sorry, you know, there are other tasks you can do in the house. I really, I've got a routine. I've got my food laid out for the week, and you know, I cook. I, that's not where I need help. Uh, and she wanted to, and I said sorry. Uh, you know, it's part of my mm-hmm. my ritual. So you're the main cook at your house. Yes, for yeah. sure. Well, especially since your wife's busy in school. Oh yeah, she just she barely has time to eat, much less right. cook. And I do the grocery shopping, and she does the cleanup. So it's mm-hmm. a good. Uh, when my mother-in-law lived with us, she would do my vegetable chopping. Ah, she was great at it. And as anybody who cooks. You have someone chopping the vegetables for you, right? There, it really helps a lot. Makes a huge difference. Yes, it clearly. Does. So, you guys go to what mass at St. Stephen's? You know, uh, I go to four o'clock mass at St. Stephen uh, when I'm a lector, and then I, uh, my wife's not been able to go to mass. On Sunday lately, so I've been going to eight o'clock mass at uh, Saint Francis Xavier, and then we go to mass at Saint Bernadette and Homa, 
and um, and then weekday mass at different churches uh, depends on if there's a school mass there. We don't want to be in with all the kids right, and right, so right. forth. So yeah, we're we kind of we we kind of go to different places. Um, and and you know the kind of um, flavor of of the homily that's going to be given, and uh, at the different if you go regular right, enough, right? And uh, in the Monsignor at St. Stephen's, um, hey, let me real quick just say this is David Anderson, host of Cross Training, brought to you on Catholic Community Media. Thank you for joining us, and uh, today we have. Dr. Dan Jens in the beautiful Loyola Studios, and he's a devout Catholic uh, man who has been an instructor for me for, I guess, about a year now, uh, leading a group of men uh, on their journey, an aptly named journey, uh, and uh, he's a great part of everybody's life that he touches, so thank you. Dan, when you prepare our readings for Friday morning, and I got to tell you, uh, I've been in other men's groups, always out that adoration. I've been very fortunate to be, I went to one at the seminary for 10 years, and uh, Father Joe Kraft got assigned out to Metairie, and the group moved with him out there. I spoke to Father Thibodeau. He said, well, I have a group. Perfect. And you have adoration at the same time in the morning. Uh, how do you prepare? What, how do you choose what we're going to read? Um, yeah, that, that's a good question. I think being involved with Journey, uh, I've been almost four years now, and uh, it does make you think about where – where you have your personal needs, but also the men around me, what needs they have. And sometimes they'll read something and tell me, you know, different people will have different suggestions. Um, uh, I'll read an author and they'll refer to a different uh, author or speaker. And we've had some very interesting readings over the past few years. Um, Currently, we're reading from Thomas Merton, who I'd read about his life a few years ago and wondered, you know, what what was going on in his mind. And now we're delving into that. So that's... What a deep mind he has. Oh, my goodness sakes. Yes, yes. Uh, He perceives things that I could not ever have fathomed. Uh, But some of that is penetrating to me to make me think about uh, God is in me and which part of me is, is him. Uh, and which part of me is 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 just my own concept of me, and so this is a very interesting journey for me as well. But um, every now and then we'll switch gears. We read a um, a short book by Tolstoy, and it had nothing to do with. Uh, his great writings, it had to do with his uh, crisis of faith and how he came to understand um, um, what his role in life was uh, and where those goals were were coming from. And what was the synopsis of where he thought his life was? Well, uh, his associations were with the um, – you know, with well-to-do Russian society and the standard um, structure of the church, and then he was not finding depth of meaning there. But then when he experienced the very devout faith of the peasants 
and how they had pure trust in God because they had nothing else to trust in, uh, that got his attention. And it kind of told him that faith is everything and all these accoutrements of the of you know what was called religion or what is called religion were less important than just that trust in God and um, yeah, that was a great realization for him to come to and a great mind like him having to struggle with these thoughts that was pretty inspiring you know if a smart guy like him had to struggle with this you know well I think that's a lesson for the rest of us. Well, uh, we're gonna about to end the show, but I did want to say Dan shared a, a story one time with us about a difficult time that he had as a doctor on the administrative side of life. And it was really interesting, just like what you just said, the great struggles. All of us kind of look at you as, you know, kind of this person who's had no difficulties in their life, and clearly you have, and you've met them, and your faith further developed. And uh, I just want to really thank you uh, for allowing me and welcome me into the Journey Men's Group. It's uh, a great part of the deepening of my own faith and the challenging readings that you put before us. and it just tells you that we're all the same, really, and we all face different problems. And the one common denominator for Catholics is we just lay it off on our faith. And we are able to get through it without pulling our hair out and uh, thinking the world's ending. And um, we're prepared for our ending because of our Catholic faith. So thank you. And I'd like to end... Uh, would you like to have the closing words and then we'll say the Hail Mary and hopefully our listeners will join us and say goodbye. Well, I think that our journey group is um, one of mutual support. It's not just me presenting a curriculum. It's one where we talk about what's important to each of us and I think we all learn from each other's stories and it's been a very valuable growth experience for me and one of the blessings that I just stumbled onto this group uh, four years ago so I'm very thankful me as well would you lead us in the Hail Mary Father, Son, Holy Spirit Amen Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Cross Training with David Anderson is a production of Catholic Community Media.